It's great to be here today. Um, Pastor Dow's off, so he gave me the opportunity to, to get my sermon ready during spring break. So I had plenty of time to get ready since y'all know that I teach. And so it was great to be off, even though I was in the mountains, you know, struggling to stop having fun and start uh, learning my sermon. I had fun doing both. But, um, you know, when you, get ready to do a, when you get ready to prepare a sermon, you start, you start looking for what God has laid on your heart. And a lot of times, um, he lays all kinds of things on your heart. But there's, there's a bad thing about the Bible. The bad thing about the Bible is that it is so good. You start reading one thing, and you're like, this is what God wants me to do. I know it. It's perfect. And then the next second, you're reading something else. You're like, oh, man, this is awesome, too. What am I going to do? And so that's when you call your preacher and ask, what am I supposed to do? So, you know... <laughs> He gives you a little direction along with the Holy Spirit, and that uh, sets you on the, on the right course. But it is a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. It is awesome to, to be here the week after Easter and, and to see so many here and to, and to just see your faces and, and know that you've had an, an awesome time experiencing the resurrection of our Savior. But I, I want you to think about this. Easter has come and gone. Um, we've experienced Holy Week with, with Christ, his triumphant entry, um, his arrest, the freeing of a Barabbas, the crucifixion, and then, of course, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, seeing all those things, experiencing all the stories and all the things that go on, but then you're like, so now what? You know, what, what do we do now? You know, we've, we've had the great um, celebration of Easter, but now it's time to get on with life, right? And so how, do, how should we feel? How do you think the disciples felt, you know, after the resurrection? You know, I'm sure they were pumped, excited, but, but also a little frightened with everything going on in their lives. But God wants us to know that, that there is a way we should, should act. And, and in First Peter, we're going to look at that today. He's really going to show us the joy of our salvation and the hope that we have in the salvation that's given to us by God. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to, to First Peter um, chapter 1. We're going to go through 3 through 9, which is probably, I think I bit off a little more than, than I should have. Because um, as I was reading, things kept coming out. So this should only be about 60 to 70 minute sermon. So y'all should be fine. Um, but we will, read, we will read this together. Um, I can make this thing work. Look at that. It's pretty good. Um, and I'm just going to read these verses, and then we're going to break them up real quick. But, but just follow along with me. This is 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These are beautiful verses. Wonderful words. Written about 30 years after Christ um, was resurrected. Um, and it, is just, it just points us to the joy and hope that we have through God's great mercy. In the first few verses, we're going to see the hope that we have through our salvation. Then as we read the last verses, we're going to see the joy of our salvation. Though we may go through many trials and difficulties in our life, although our lives may not be perfect, God is going to bless us who believe through his precious and ultimate gift of salvation. You know, Christ died for a reason. You know, that reason was for us. And it was also to glorify God. You know, who raised Jesus? Not us. 
I didn't do anything about that, but God did that through his power. And we're going to look at that. Jesus died on the cross, but was raised as we who believe will also be raised. Let's look at the first verse real quick. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right, this is probably the only verse I should have preached on, so, but we're going to do a little bit more. This is so, so many good things. There's three things in here. Um, God in his, is great in his mercy. God causes us to be born again, and God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And when you look at those things, um, his mercy, if you wonder, if you ever wonder about God's mercy, he, he doesn't just give us mercy, you know, for this thing or that thing, but he gives us great mercy. Um, he's always there and always giving that no matter what's going on. Compassion and love and forgiveness are given to us even though we don't deserve it. And that, that's who our God is. That's the amazing thing about him. And God causes us to be born again. Being born again is the work of God, not of man. Just like I said, I couldn't do anything about that. But God, in his great mercy, allowed us to be born again. And then lastly, in this verse, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And that says it all. He did it. First Peter one twenty one says, God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Not just for us, but also for glorifying God. That's why we are raised. That's why we are saved. That's why salvation is available so that we can glorify God through our lives. Is this something that, that should be hopeless or not full of joy? No, it should be the opposite. We should be excited. We should be pumped about how God has done so much for us and live our life like that each and every day. How do you know that you've been born? We all know. You look around, uh, you were born. Right, you have a birth certificate, but you don't even need that to know you're born. You know you're born because you exist. I see all of you, and I know, that you, I know that you've been born. You don't need anything to prove that. But how do you know that you're born again? This can be a tricky one for some. Some people think, you know, when I was younger, I, think, I thought, you know, when I walked down the aisle of the church, I talked to the preacher. A couple weeks I got baptized, I was born again. I was saved, right? End of story. Nothing else. But is it, is it just all about that? Is that just how it is? No. There's more than that. This is what Ephesians says. It says, I was dead in, this is just, I'm paraphrasing it. I was dead in trespasses and sins and God in his great love with which he loved me, made me alive together with Christ. I did not raise myself from the dead, but God raised me. I was blind to spiritual things. No one on earth could not help me, could help me. But the Father in heaven mercifully and sovereignly opened my eyes to see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that God calls me to see and acknowledge this truth. God did all of these things. God is the reason that we are saved. It's not by our own doing, but because of him. And God will get the glory in it in the end. I want to read this verse here. This is, um, there are three things from this verse and testimony to the joy and hope that we have been given through our God. What has God given us? He's given us a living hope. What is hope? When we have hope today, um, I have hope that my soccer team will win. I have hope that um, I'll get a good lunch today. I have hope that I'll, my car will start. All those things are hopes that we have today. That's, that's basically what we, we base our hope on in our life. But in the New Testament world, hope is something bigger. This is, this is the definition of New Testament hope. It was a full assurance or strong confidence that God is going to do good to us in the future. I hope you have a hope like that. Thinking and, and believing and knowing that God has a hope, he has a plan for you, and a future for you. And, that, and that's how the, the New Testament Christians live. If they didn't have that kind of hope, facing persecution and all the things that they faced throughout life, 
it wouldn't be worth living. But they had that hope in God. This is a quote from John Piper. I'll read a couple of things. It's a little long. Just bear with me. But there's something even more peculiar about Christian hope. Peter calls it living hope. What does that mean? The opposite of a living hope would be a dead hope. And that calls to mind a similar phrase in James 2, namely dead faith. Faith without works is dead, James says. That is, faith is barren, fruitless, unproductive. So living faith, and by analogy, living hope, would be the fertile, fruitful, productive hope. Living hope is hope that has power and produces changes in life. This is what living means in Hebrew 4.12, where it says the word of God is living and effective. So Christian hope is a strong confidence in God, which has power to produce changes in how we live. You know, I think about my own life. I think about my own experiences of how I lived away from God, apart from the Holy Spirit, and try to do things on my own. I never could overcome anything that was an obstacle in my, in my life. You know, Paul said that he had a thorn in his side throughout his life. He could never overcome those things without the power of God, without the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. But we are blessed to have that. And, and I can just say from my own experience, God gave me living hope that I could change if I stopped trying to do it on my own and allowed him to take over. Hope is a wonderful thing, and without hope, our lives are nothing. It's a question here. What is there beyond today if we do not have hope in God to do all things that he has promised? What is life worth if we don't have all that God has promised us? It's nothing. You know, we live day to day, but God gives us a hope that we have so much more. So much more is promised for tomorrow, and we just have to live for him and trust in him and have that hope and assurance each and every day of our lives. I'm going to go on to the next verse. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In Sunday morning Bible, Bible study, we've been talking about the Israelites. They finally made it to the promised land, right? So we've, been, we've started in, in the Garden of Eden, finally made it to the promised land. Now we're tearing down walls and things like that. So very excited for the Israelites. That was their promised land. That was what God had promised them. But, but it, us as Christians, we also have promise. We also have a promised land, an inheritance that God wants to give to us. And our inheritance is, is different. Many of you have an inheritance or hope to get an inheritance. I don't know what I'll get. My mom and dad said I'll probably not get much. So, you know, that's just what they say. So but they, have, they got plenty of stuff. So, I'm just hoping. But there's a few things that, that I'd like to have inherited. Uh, maybe some land. I'd love to have some land. Maybe some nice new cars. I'd love to get some new cars. Maybe the uh, original Jimi Hendrix Stratocaster. That'd be wonderful to have. I'd love to have all kinds of things um, inherited. The problem with these things is that they don't last forever, do they? Even my 35-year-old rascal robot that was handed down to me by my grandpa. I still have this. It's my favorite little thing. It's probably my prized possession besides my wife and children. Uh, is this little, it's about this big, the robot, if it's fully restored, I saw on eBay for 88 bucks, that was pretty cool, it's only about this big, I didn't have hands anymore, so I'm sure I'd get like 88 cents, um, but these things, even though I love these things, even though I cherish them, they're not going to last forever, that in Israel, is Israel going to last forever, is, is that, you know, it's been taken, given away, all these things have happened, and, and land is not going to last forever, this world is not going to last forever, you know, There will be a new world one day, but that's another sermon, and I won't get into that. But Peter described our inheritance as something that can never be destroyed, never be polluted, never waste away. It is a perfect, forever, and unchanging by any force. Uh, F.W. Bear states, the inheritance is untouched by death, 
unsustained by evil, unimpaired by time. Think of those three things. Death, uh, evil, time. How many of us ever experience any of those things in our lives? Every day, I would say, those, those topics come up in our lives, right? You know, we, we're faced with death every day. Uh, we only are going to live so long. Uh, evil is around us each and every moment of our life. And then, of course, time. You know, I think about my 40 years, which seems like that now. You know, when I was 18 years old, it seemed like an eternity. But as the older you get, you know, time gets qu- goes by a lot quicker. Um, and so we, have, we think about those things. And God wants us to be sure that our inheritance, what he's promised us, is not going to be affected by any of those things that worry our hearts throughout our lives. Do not worry about death. Do not worry about evil. Do not worry about time. But worry about where God is in your life and where he's moving you toward in your life. So what is our inheritance as Christians? Well, it's something that's always been and will always be. This is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Our inheritance is Jesus. It's the greatest thing that we can ever be given is Jesus. Jesus has always been. He always will be. He will never pass away. He will never fade from from this entire universe. He is this universe. And it's up to us to to see that and to to grab onto that and to know that that is our inheritance for our life. So, So what comes with that inheritance? There's a few things. In John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You know, we will be like Jesus. Can you imagine that? I think about every day that I fall down and have to pick myself up again. Every day I say something stupid or, I, you know, I make some little joke, try to be funny. And I say, why did I say that? And, and that's just how it is. But we're going to be more and more like Christ, you know, and eventually we will be like him. Next verse, another thing that he promises us, Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. To appear with Christ in glory. Do any of us deserve to appear with Christ in glory? No, not a one of us. But God promises that through this salvation, through what we spoke about last week, the resurrection of Christ, we are given the opportunity to be in glory with Jesus. And the last thing here, which is eternal life, Romans eight eleven. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We will live forever. Uh, I, I can remember growing up, even talking, I think maybe talking to Isabel or Kylie one time, you know, what do you do forever? I'm like, I don't know, what do you do forever? I, I can hardly do something for an hour without getting bored. But, uh, you know, what are we going to do forever? And, and I just think, you know, I really think it's going to be, I always kind of equate it to like going to Christian camp and singing. I just, I just love that stuff and just praising God. To me, it just overwhelms me. But to have it at, you know, with God right there in front of you, it's going to be amazing. No matter what you think it's going to be amazing. And it's something that we can't describe as human beings, but God is going to make it the most wonderful eternity that it could ever be. Next verses. And I thought about leaving these out, but, but I really think these are important for us just to know as we live in our life, as we go through the day of today, living through evil 
and time and death and all these things in our life. There's many trials in our life, but God wants us to know that these trials are there for a reason. And I'll read this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is constantly working on us through this life. He's constantly making us more like him. You know, and people see who we are. People see if we truly have the gift of salvation by being a follower of Christ, by the way we come out of a trial. Some, us, some of us have experienced, you know, little things in our life. Some have experienced big things, illnesses, deaths, so many things that have, that have hindered our lives. But if we don't come out of them praising God for allowing us to come out of them, then what are we really showing the world? You know, and I, there's so many testimonies in this room that I can, I can look around this room and see so many people that have gone through so many heartaches in their life and yet come out on the other end, not because of themselves, not because the pastor told them something, you know, some great advice, or they went to see some guru here or there, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because God lives in them. And that's the only way we can make it through the things of this world, through the evils, through the deaths through the ongoing things that time does to our bodies. Another quote. This is from a constable, and it says, trials, trials do to faith what fire does to gold. They purify it and reveal its true value and genuineness, what it really is. Peter anticipated that his readers would respond to their trials properly. God purifies our faith with trials by helping us realize the inadequacy of anything other than trust in him in these situations. He shows that our faith is genuine by demonstrating that our joy and trials rest solely on our confidence in him and his promises. Both results, purity and proof of genuineness, bring praise, glory, and honor to God ultimately, though they also benefit us in the process. We're so fortunate to have a God who, who it does promise in the Bible, does not put us in anything that we cannot handle, right? He's there for us. He's going to help us make it through it. Sometimes it feels like it. You know, sometimes... You know, I wonder, you know, I've shared with y'all before, you know, why was I born with kidney issues? Why was, you know, why was, you know, so-and-so born with this illness or this issue? But God uses those, those things for a reason. He allows us to, to live our lives for him in that place where he wants us. I wasn't able to, to do some things I wanted to do because of my, my disability, well, it's not disability, really, because of my kidneys, but God moved me somewhere else where he wanted me to be, where he placed me so I could be there. And that's how God works. He's created us all in a perfect fashion and uses us all in a perfect fashion. We just have to trust him that no matter what trial we go through, that he's going to meet us on the other side. Last two verses. We're knocking it out. You're doing a great job. Uh, the joy of our salvation. I hope when you hear the word salvation, that that brings a smile to your face, that that makes your heart jump, knowing that Jesus did so much for us, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and he's going to do the same for us when we do pass from this world. That is how God, how much God loves us and what he wants to do, do for us. And verses 8 and 9 say, Though you may not have seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I, I think about the, the disciples in this verse. They lived with Jesus for three or so many years, and, and they got to see him face to face and be with him each and every day. But us, 
and all those that came after Jesus never saw him, yet we have the opportunity to believe in him and to know him personally. And God does that in a special way. He does that in a miraculous way uh, through his word and through the gift of his Holy Spirit. We have the opportunity not just to see Jesus, not just to hang out with Jesus, but to have Jesus inside of us. And that is the most amazing miracle in my, in my, you know, my, my humble opinion, is that Jesus is actually there and his Holy Spirit is with us. And we have the, I think we really have an advantage over the disciples because we have that in our life. And that is such an amazing thing that, that everyone just needs to grasp hold of and know and believe with all their belief. So how should we feel as Christians? How do you think we should feel as Christians? Three things. We should love Christ, we should believe in Christ, and we should rejoice in Christ. Not just, you know, not just say, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I love Jesus. Yay. But really rejoice. Be happy. Be excited that he is who he is. And he's done what he's done for us. And if it weren't for him, we would be dead in our trespasses. We would be lost. We would be blind. But now we are seen. Now, now we can see. Now we are found because of him. John Piper writes, Though you do not now see him, yet in another sense you do see him far better than the thousands who saw him face to face. You see the glory of God shining in this man's face at every turn in the Gospels. And because you see him with the eyes of the heart, you love him and trust him and rejoice with joy inexpressibly and full of glory. This is true Christianity. This is how God wants us to live. This is how our joy should, should be expressed. That we know God. We know Jesus through the, through the scriptures. We know who he is through his Holy Spirit. And we're able to share that with those around us. And people should see this. Christians can enjoy the glory of God now by loving Christ, trusting Christ, rejoicing in Christ, and receiving from Christ the gifts that he's given us each and every day. All right, I'm going to share this story. I don't know if I was supposed to share this story, but uh, this weekend I was with some friends. George and I, our families were together. And uh, we played this little game where we asked these questions and said, what do you want others to think about you? So instead of asking us, um, we asked our children uh, what do our parents want others think, to think about? What, like, what do, what do I want people to think about me or know about me? So, of course, Kylie said, well, I think that everybody would want to know that you're weird, Dad. So, you know, that's, so that's pretty much my, my life and how my life goes is that people, want, you know, people know that I'm weird. So I'm glad that everybody knows that, but it's not really exactly what I want people to know, but, but that's the kind of stuff that, that happens at my house. So, um, however, another child of another parent was asked the same thing. They were asked, um, what would their parent want them, others to know about them? And what both children said was that uh, this parent would want them to know that they love Jesus. What a testimony for your children to say that about you, that they want you to, that they, that others want you to know, that others want to know that you know Jesus. That's a great testimony. And that's the, that is the true sense of of what we should show everybody in our world is that people know that we know Jesus. I, I believe it's in Acts 4, 13. Um, it says that, um, I'm just going to read it, actually, instead of messing it up. Acts four thirteen. I have it right here. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. To, for people to say that, that you have been with Jesus is a mark that you have salvation, that you are a true Christian, that you have the gifts that God has given you, that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And I'll read my last part here.
many times, me included, we go through life trying to do so much or put so many things in front of our friends and family instead of putting the most important thing in front of them, and that is the living hope from God. Or the joy and knowledge of knowing that you have received the gift of salvation and are forever a child of God. That knowledge and life with Christ is just as Peter described, is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And I hope that as you go from here today, that you'll listen to those words and that you'll know that God is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And his love for you is the same, and his mercy for you is the same. In in 1 Peter, verse 23, it says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and abiding word of God, it is by the gospel that you have been saved. And it is only by the gospel that you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you so much for the gifts that you give us, Lord. The gifts that you give us that we don't deserve. The mercy that you lavish on us each and every day, Lord. To have a living hope in our lives is is so wonderful, Lord. And I can't imagine having to live a life without having that living hope. Lord, may everyone in this room, everyone that hears these words, know that, that you are true and that you keep your word and that there's nothing that can stand between us and you. Lord, you have, you have gone be, be, even beyond death and conquered death so that we may be with you, Lord, and so that you may be glorified by our lives, Lord. Help us to rejoice in, in your salvation, God. Help us rejoice in the love that we have from you and to show that to everyone in our world. God, you are good, and we thank you for this day. In your name we pray. Amen.